Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. We have a very special guest today, and full disclaimer, unlike all of our other guests, he has not had any sort of a moral failure. He didn't have <laughs> some big crumbling of his ministry, and that when you hear that he's on our show, you go, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that he had a problem, <laughs> and that he you know, did what we didn't think that he had done. And so we're so excited, so grateful to have Pastor Kevin Gerald from Champion Center in Tacoma, DuPont, Bellevue. Where else yeah. do you have campuses online? Uh, yeah. In Yakima. Hello, everybody. Great <laughs> to be right. here today with you guys. Changing the Northwest. It Thank is you. unbelievable. In the most unchurched region mm. of America, it is a beacon. We were at your campus in Bellevue on Sunday, and it was like an oasis mm. in the desert mm -hmm. to walk in and have the spirit of hospitality wow. and the spirit of excellence and the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere from the parking lot all the way through till your call for a response. Mm. And so thank you for leading. Thank you for leading us. You didn't even know that you were leading us. Mm. Sunny, my partner in crime, she took our whole staff through your latest book. And so you've impacted the city of Green Bay. And uh, I know that we've invited you to come later this summer. And so our people will be excited for that. Just tell us really quick, how long have you been at Champion Center? Can you kind of tell our friends the, I guess the genesis of it? Did sure, you start sure. it? Well, I've been here uh, 36 years when I came uh, and I came to a church that was without a pastor and pastor had resigned and left and basically asked me, I had, I had preached in the church, the church knew me, so he asked me if I would come help them find a pastor, and, and I became the pastor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I didn't come, my wife didn't come with me, we had a little girl at that point named Jody, and I came literally to the Northwest to help this church, and after, I don't know, eight or ten weeks, and after bringing some people in hmm. to to test drive, try out, whatever it is, with the church. Uh, we ended up uh, feeling like, the, the, you know, they continued to ask me if I would stay, the, the board and the overseers. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, we felt like God called us here 30, 36, 36 years ago. It's been the longest interim pastorship. It's <laughs> 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 incredible go. that you would cut. Where did you come from? Came from St. Louis. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. My dad pastored a church there for over 50 years. Wow. So I was I was his successor. Everyone would have said Kevin is is next. He, Kevin's and so I was on staff with my dad, and um, and to this day love the St. Louis Cardinals and that's my home. That's where I come from. But God had other God had other things in mind. Well, it definitely plays into what we want to talk about. We're going to talk about <clears throat> finishing strong or longevity, and obviously it's in your DNA for your dad to pastor yeah. church for 50 years mm, mm -hmm. and be faithful and, and for you to be in a town that came out of, really came out of left field probably for you. You know, you, you meet people from the Pacific Northwest and, and they're lifers. And so it's, it's, it's interesting for us, you know, we were transplants, we were youth pastors here and we were transplants. And so we kind of always were people from a different part of the country that mm. we adopted because they knew that we weren't from here because we used umbrellas. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they, I, I really loved what you talked. And I know that we're not here to talk about your message from Sunday, but your message Sunday was just so powerful. You're in a series on the Psalms and, and your message was about David and how he was a worshiping warrior. And it, it was so moving and, 
and so motivating. And you had a couple of things that you said in there that, that I think really painted a picture for me on what your heart is mm. when it comes to church life. You, you had a great line. You said, we often don't know what's on the other side of obedience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would ring true in the heart of pastors yep. who maybe are waffling or vacillating right. on, on longevity. And so I guess teach us your ways, oh wise one for all of us. Our, our crowd is largely people who are in the ministry. And so how is it that you've been able to persevere, mm. I guess would be the one word that would come to mind for 36 years in a really, really difficult place to pastor? Well, I think we all want God to show us the promise um, and show us what we're going to get if we obey him. So our obedience is then based on what God will do for us mm. versus mm. obeying God first wow. and believing and knowing he is a good God. He does good things for people like you and me. And so that's where that line came from that mm. you're, you're talking about is that I think God basically plans it that way, that we don't really know what's on the other side of our obedience uh, we have to obey first. We obey without that. It's, it's not contingent on mm. what he's going to do. It's an obedience that, that comes from the heart to obey him just because he is God. Mm. Mm. And then that's where we open up the, the opportunity and the possibility. And I would just say as far as longevity and length of time and doing what I'm doing, over and over and over again, that scenario plays out. And I think you began to kind of get the hint after a while. You know, you realize that, that God is, is who he is. He's sovereign. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who decides at what point we know for sure that he's got our back. We know mm-hmm. for sure that he's going to cover us. But uh, know for sure he's going to bring people to replace the ones that walk away. Um, or, or whatever it may be, we, 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 we trust him first. And, and then we see the possibilities of the doors open as a as a response to our trust. Mm. And that's like a daily, weekly, or for sure a, a monthly decision you've probably made mm. in ministry in maybe Monday after church, right? Don't they say more pastors resign Monday <laughs> than any other day of the week? So that's a, a constant revisiting for you. What would you say? Cause our, because our listeners would for sure be thinking, but what's the one key? And you mentioned a little earlier, this hot word topic mm. that's now hot, but it was not even talked about decades ago. And that's mental health. Mm-hmm. You had said, you think that's the key. Will you expand on that? Sure. Yeah. I really do believe that the number one key to living, living strong, having longevity in your life is mental health. And it's funny, you know, after you get past 50 or 25, 30 years in ministry, this starts to be the question. And I I get asked this a lot. And I'm just going to be honest with you that I I don't think of me that way. I don't think of myself as, oh, I'm the great perseverer. Look how Mm -hmm. long I've stood without falling. It just not, you know, I don't think of myself. It it feels to me more like, you know, I got here because I took one day at a time. Mm and that there are some things now that when you ask me about it, I look back and I try to be helpful, I try to be informative, and that's what we're doing today, is that I would just say for me, my journey is that I focused on mental health when it wasn't the popular thing, it wasn't the buzzword, it, 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 it wasn't especially in preacher circles, 
lots of um, lots of emphasis on spirituality, which is in most people's mind is not mental health, mm-hmm. and right. they're 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 completely different. So for me, I had to I think navigate into what seemed like I needed to do for me, uh, versus you know what I was hearing other people emphasize. And, and it became, for me now looking back, it became the key to me being where I am today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so thankful that I, was, I had the courage to go with it. You know, the writer said in Third John, I would that you would be in health and prosper even as your soul mm. is prospering. So if you break down the word soul, you, you understand that your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mm-hmm. mind, your will, and your emotions and when you understand that is what the soul is now you start to salute it a little bit more you start to have more regard for it Mm -hmm. you start to say whoa whoa i cannot overlook my mind my will and my i have to be healthy in my Mm -hmm. mind my will Mm -hmm. my emotions i just saw a movie this week, Top Gun's were popular. Amazing. Right so I, went, I went to the movie Top Gun, and my grandson had seen it. He wanted to go back, and I'm like, count me in. You know, I remember <laughs> the old one. And so I, I went to the movie. But the one thing that uh, I was going to say about that is that you get with these guys who need to know how to fly hmm. at, at, at an amazing speed. They are the few of the few. They are the bravest, the boldest, and really intelligent and really skilled at what they do in flying this unbelievable machine. At the same time, what you see is that they take care of themselves mentally and Mm. physically. So good. And that empowers them to do what they're Mm. on the planet to do. Mm. And Mm. that, I think, is what pastors often don't see. And we don't say it enough. We maybe hide a little bit. Well... You know, maybe that sounds less spiritual. Well, I, I would have to just be honest with you today and say, I hope we can talk more about it from here on out. You look at people falling, you look at failures, you look at, you know, leaders that have gone down, are going down. I hope we can all get to the point where we don't see mental health mm. as a taboo topic and we mm. actually see it as a part of our spiritual service to God, is that our souls are healthy, our souls are well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's difficult for us to really even navigate our own spirituality if we're mentally not where we need to be, if we're looking at ourselves through a lens of insecurity, if you would, yep. or a, a lens of inferiority. And I mean, you, you come to a place like Champion Center and you see everything that's happening, which is 36 years of labor, mm. but especially for young guys who would come and they'd see a, a Kevin Gerald who's, so magnetic and so good at what you do and such a great communicator. And everywhere you look, Champion Center is excellence. And you would automatically, as a younger person, think, well, this must just be his personality type. Mm. He must be a seven on the Enneagram. (laughs) He must be uh, a total extrovert. He must be a people person. Mm. But we talked a little earlier, you said that's not the case. Yeah, not the case. And I think that's why I have such high regard now or for the topic we're talking about, mm-hmm. is because when I was younger, and I'm going to say around 12 years old, 14 years old, I, I love sports because I'm very competitive. Mm-hmm. And so I'm an eight. You mentioned Enneagram. I'm an eight okay. on, on the Enneagram. But I just assume be by myself. Like if I, 
if if we've got a purpose, so at a young age, a purpose on a football field, a baseball field, something like that, I'm the guy waving the towel. I'm the guy screaming and going crazy. I mm-hmm. I am into it, and that's part of you know what I would do to win, to overcome. But as far as just me, I, I'm shy. Mm-hmm. I'm shy by nature. I'm introverted, very much so. I married an extrovert. Um, who reminds me a lot of times how boring I am. <laughs> um, I, I'm an introverted person, and I have had to learn how to mm. engage and interact uh, with people. I also would have been, along with that, I would have been the typical introverted person that I had a dark part of me. Um, when I was really young, I started, I gravitated toward, I loved history, I gravi- gravitated toward President Lincoln mm. and, and historically who he was because he was a melancholy leader. And he, they said of President Lincoln, they said that melancholy dripped from his lips. Wow. <laughs> That's how they described wow. him because he struggled with that dark side of himself. And so, in fact, one of the things he, he was known for during the Civil War, he would literally solicit jokes and humor at night around the campfire. Mm. When he would be out with his troops and out in the fighting in the battlefields, he would solicit humor. He would say, we've got to laugh because laughter does good like a medicine. And then he would get criticized by, you know, the, the media. In those days, they were riding horseback, and so they would be there taking notes, and then they would rush off, you know, to, to, <laughs> to get the information out. Um, and, and they would criticize him, and the headlines would say things like, you know, the president is laughing around campfire during war times and things like that. But the point was he knew that if he did not help himself by laughter and lift his mind up out of dark places, he could mm. not do mm. what he was meant to do. And so that really spoke to me, and that really helped me. And then I went on to write books like Mind Monsters. <laughs> I, I went on to talk about forces that form your future, which is a big part of that, has to do with things having to do with your mind. Mm. I studied the mind. I became more aware of neuroscience and how it works and how your mind works, your brain works, all of the above. And I would just have to say today, if you back me in a corner and say, you know, hey, what is the the key? Well, if there's any, I know Jesus deserves the glory. I know he deserves the credit. I'm so thankful he's my savior. I'm so thankful for the power of prayer. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. But for Kevin, if I hadn't found out how to, how to have a strong mind and how to strengthen my thoughts, how to come up out of dark places, mm. how to minister to myself, mm. and how to encourage myself in the Lord, if I hadn't learned those things having to do with mental health, I wouldn't be here today. And we love that you're speaking our language because you know we've told you a little about Journey to Wholeness, which we what it was called when we saved our marriage through it was Life Skills. And it was this program where we found out we didn't have a marriage problem. Sonny had a Sonny problem, Sean had a Sean problem. And we were these bad roommates that couldn't move out of the apartment, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're now in a covenant. And so all the marriage help didn't help the marriage. But when we went to the traumas of our childhood, which could have been one of mine was uh, my uncle called me when I was 12, a city slicker. 
Like, how is that abusive? What does that even mean? <laughs> For me, it turned yeah. me into an, uh, I was going to say an alcoholic. I'm I was not say, ever, I didn't even know you were an alcoholic. I have not been an alcoholic. <laughs> True confessions. <laughs> it turned me into a workaholic because what I knew was behind all of that was a statement, you're a city slicker. To him, city people were lazy and ranchers were workers. Wow. Yeah. So one phrase, I we now call it rang, reigned king in my life. And so me as a 35 year old with children married, I'm now a workaholic. That's my issue. That doesn't seem that like those are connected. So I got to fix that. Sean, he did come from more of an abusive home, abusive neighborhood, and he found more things that then we were triggered when we were married by weird things. If he made me feel lazy, get, you know, fight is on. Right. And so we went through something called life skills, which now we have expanded it and it's called journey to wholeness. And, uh, our director now does this all over the country and we bring pastors in because, you know, the mental health, the, the whole thing about it is everybody is now admitting there's a mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. And we know that a lot of it stems from the pandemic, mm-hmm. but there's also root causes that were that came before the pandemic. Yep. We just weren't talking about it. Right. And we each have root causes. We all have root issues. And so you're speaking our language when you talk mental health. And you know, we've noticed people don't really wanna go there, especially, it, we've seen people, the older they get, the less likely they are to do journey to wholeness. The pastor's in their 30s, 40s, totally like, yeah, I know, mm-hmm. I gotta get that help. A pastor in his 60s tends to be a harder audience because it's almost like they have survived this long I don't want to open up a wound. I was 13. I've learned how to adjust and live life and compensate for that. Like, Mm -hmm. what's that going to do? Or will I have regrets that my children are grown, gone, and I have grandkids, and now I'm going to find out how I wrecked my kid's life because Mm -hmm. of my past. And so I love that you're a pastor who's not 10 years in saying, everybody should think about mental health. You're a pastor who's done three decades of this, Mm -hmm. and you're still even more saying it's Mm -hmm. about mental health. Mm -hmm. Love that. I have a question because you mentioned that uh, you were good if you were in a sport and you're on the field, you're the one waving the towel. Yep. You're not the one who is an introvert out there because you're winning, right? Or you're about to win and you're united. How did you make it through the pandemic when it felt like nobody was winning? Mm -hmm. And let's talk specific to pastors. And they might still feel like they're not winning. You know, there's still pastors, they're 50% of what they had staff wise, 50% of attendance, and that's, they've gotten up to 50%. Mm-hmm. How, how did you do that when you didn't probably feel like this is a game of championships and wins? Right. How'd you do it? Right, well, my story is, is unique, I'm sure to others that are listening today. Uh, but for me, I honestly, I had a hard time and so the, the pandemic um, probably for me was one of my, I'm trying to think of, I've had some hard years, you can imagine, but um, it, was, it was hard in such a unique and different way because I had all of the above happening. I had people that were, were you know, leaving our church, leaving friendship. I had people, and, and you've had that, but you haven't had it during the time of pandemic before. Mm. So, you know, you kind of have all of the above happening and you're realizing. And then I live in, a, in the Northwest. I live in, in Seattle. And Seattle was, 
Seattle was Seattle. And that meant me having, you know, interaction with the governor and uh, going nose to nose with him a little bit and that being publicized by the media. Um, and then me wondering, you know, should I have done that? Should I have opened my mouth? Should I have said that? You, you have me with my grandsons who I love dearly um, going to a, a Christian school, but the Christian school is basically, um, you know, and this would have been as they returned back to school part, the end of 2020, you know, they, they were doing a lot of the same sort of ideology as the world. Mm -hmm. And so I just wrestled with a lot of things that were dear to me um, during that time. And I, I wanted to say that because I, I know listening today, there are people who are saying, man, I've had a really hard time with this. And this has really been a struggle for me. And I just want to make sure that you know today that I didn't just breeze mm. through it. But I would have to say that some of the things I've applied, I applied throughout my life, were that those were the foundations. So, for example, I couldn't exercise in my gym where I live. All the gyms were closed where I live, and I live in a condominium, and the, the gym is normally open. It wasn't there. So I went out into the streets in the concrete jungle, so to speak, <laughs> that was empty pretty much, but I ran stairs a lot. I went every day um, on walks, running stairs, um, and for exercise, I had my headsets on a lot. If you were to look back at 2020, you could see me sometimes alone, sometimes with my wife, Sheila, and I would have my headsets on. I'm, what am I doing? I'm listening to worship music. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm getting my worship on. So I was fighting, fighting, fighting mm. from the position that we're talking about today. My mind needed to be led. My mind, I could not surrender to my mind. I had to lead mm. it on a daily basis to places that that I knew, I had to lead it out of places that I knew um, were not good for me and were gonna take me into the wrong direction mm -hmm. and into places that I knew my strength and my help would come from. So that was really at the core of it. I, I mentioned exercise and I mentioned, um, you know, music and worship and our, of course our family, you know, staying close to my family, staying, staying connected with them. And then I did something else, let me just tell you this. Um, to all of my friends who may have known that I listen to you on podcasts and I listen to you in ministering your weekend sermons, um, don't be offended by this, but <laughs> I didn't listen to you at all. Mm. I went after a whole new world of, mm. of engagement, and those engagements had to do with, with two things. One was, was mental health, and the second one was people who were actually talking about ideology, and they were talking about what's going on in our world from a perspective of theology, and an ideology from a biblical perspective of things that are going on. And I found great, the thinking part of me found great refuge in the idea that God, God knew this pandemic was going to come along before it came. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to flounder around, flip-flop around. We, there's an enemy to engage. There are thoughts and ideologies that are of the world, and they are not to be in our mind and they are we're not to adopt them and so mm -hmm. those sort of things to me i i was embracing at a high high level and i just shut off all of the normal preaching and teaching and so forth that you know a lot of people would have continued to do but for me i had to find what god is saying right now and what what can i learn about right now what can i learn about you know, uh, about issues having to do with race 
and racism? What can mm-hmm. I what can I learn about the things that are being talked about and taught having to do with uh, a pandemic and the things that are being said having to do with vaccines? And I did a message in 2020 called Buckets of Belief, and a lot of that came out of that season where I had focused in on the and got to the point where I understood that we stand in a different place. The bucket of beliefs that we are called to take on are not of the world. And so we do not think like the world thinks. And mm. there's other buckets like the media bucket and the political bucket, and there's all these other buckets, but our our bucket is, is the bucket of the kingdom. And I learned more about the kingdom mm. in 2020 than I've ever learned about kingdom thought and process. So sorry for such a long answer. No, that's so great. And I I got to be on the receiving end of your kingdom, some of your kingdom series, Mm. that that all of the other government and structures fall under the Mm. kingdom of heaven. Right. And and we're not subservient to that. And and it was so good. I, I took tons of notes. And actually, when you were saying that, I thought it sounds like you kind of put yourself into a different kind of boot camp, like mm-hmm. a soldier does. And I remember Shauna and I early in the pandemic, cause this kind of wanes when you go through the struggle. But in the beginning we said, oh my gosh, we were made for this. We're getting shut down. We were made for this. Like we had this like excitement that God had said, oh, you'll be in this generation to pastor people in a pandemic. Wow. That's hard, and I think a lot of pastors might be listening to this and hear that. And go, oh gosh, I remember saying that, but that was like in April or May, right? right. <laughs> when it started, right. that wasn't a year in. Then sure. we were like, "I'm not made for this. I don't <laughs> think I can handle it." Yeah. And and I want to jump right to you had said stress. You talked about this in one of the last chapters of your book that stress is viewed as such a negative thing. Can you talk about the flip side of that? Yeah, I. In uh, Naked and Unafraid, that's mm-hmm. the book where I talk about stress is an energy that God can use. And so the idea behind that is that a few years ago, I started really, I guess I, I, I never resonated with me, you guys, that when we, and you guys have been in these situations where you go to a getaway, a, a pastor's conference or a getaway, and, and what you hear is that pastors, you, you need to... Um, watch out and beware of stress. Mm. (laughs) And so, you know, take a vacation because of stress. Um, Take a break because of stress. Take a day off a week because of stress. And I heard that for years and years and years. And what, it never made sense to me was that, okay, I take a vacation and I might chill a little bit, but I come right back to what? Stress. (laughs) I take a day off and I come, uh, stress. And it's like stress is being made to be an evil thing. And yet I've, done everything you've told me to do guys and it's still around every corner so i need a different i need to process this a little differently so i started going there on my own and thinking more about it and and you know what i i got deliverance i got freedom from the idea that stress is an evil word and and here's what i mean by that is i mean i know what it does so just hear me out um Jesus had stress. Mm. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, but he was in the will of the Father. Mm, so good. Okay? The disciples had stress, right? There were times they didn't cope well with it, but they were living under stress. Everything that is good and worthwhile in your life has stress associated with it. Raising children has stress. Amen. Right? Being married to the same person and getting to know they're in and out and all the good and the bad, it is stressful, right? So 
pastoring a church is going to have stress. So I started, you know, with the people that look to me as a pastor or I'm leading the people, businessmen in our church and, and pastors as well. I started talking a little different. And the more I talked, the more it opened up and the revelation came and I learned and I began to understand that no longer would I talk about stress the same way. Mm. Stress is an energy that God can use. It's something that literally is a part of your pathway of purpose. And there Mm. is a way to, again, go back to mental health. There is a way to build your mind in the right gear. And what I did is I flipped stress, okay? So I recognize, I reject, I replace, and I retrain. Those are the four R's mm. of mind monsters. And I took that word and everything associated with that word, and I got a renewing of my mind on stress to the point where I can share what I'm sharing with you today. I still know it's hard on your heart when you're under pressure. I still know all of those things that are real. But what do I do? I fight for my mental, and I fight for my physical, spiritual health. And when I do, I can handle stress. Mm. I'm like, this has stress, bring it on because it's part of my purpose and I can handle it. So when I take a vacation, I don't expect to come back and not have any stress. I I just don't expect that. I expect to be stronger mentally, physically, and spiritually to handle the stress that's in in front of me. I think one of the things that's been so key even in just our conversation today is that you have a very keen grasp on who you are as a human being. Mm. And I think from what I've perceived, you've become okay with that. Mm. And there's a whole generation of guys that weren't okay with that. I know I know who I am. I know my personality type. I know what recharges me. I, I know that I'm a loner. I know that I recharge away from people, all of those sorts. I'm very, I'm like melancholy it, to the extreme at times, to, to where I can be morose and mm-hmm. I, can, I can become very isolated and, that, and I can get onto a razor's edge in that. And I come from a family that has struggled with mental health and to the point that I have a brother who's a psychologist. But here's what's interesting to me is a lot of the guys who I know who are really, really good thought leaders. I'm not just talking about you're a good speaker. I know lots of people who are good speakers. Right. I know a guy who you could tell him, give him the craft macaroni and cheese box and he can get you saved off of the instructions because they're just <laughs> naturally inclined to be an enigmatic, energetic communicator. But I'm talking about those guys who I listen to, who I go, no, I really like what this guy's talking about. Like mm-hmm. he's so deep and he's, a lot of those guys that I've become in relationship with, they are loners. Mm-hmm. They are people mm-hmm. who they get off on their own and they're not feeding off what you say. Now, mm-hmm. I understand the whole group think thing. I sure. think it's sure. brilliant and I sure. think it works. I, there's a church that I've become friends with some of the guys on their teaching team and they all get together. They all write the sermons together. Hmm. So then they asked me to come and speak in their series, but I didn't want to speak their sermon mm-hmm. because I wanted to give my thoughts on it. And it was almost like to them, this doesn't fit our mold. So I love the fact that for you, you go, I've been in this game a long time. I know how I function. I know how my thought process works. Some of your thoughts are very deep. Hmm. You figured out a way to make them palatable. You put the cookies on the bottom shelf. But I think when people begin to realize who they are and are comfortable living in their own skin, then it kind of liberates us. And on Sunday, you had this brilliant observation about 
the scripture, why so downcast, oh my soul. Mm. And when you said that, mm-hmm. man, I wanted to slap somebody because because you said that that he talked to his soul. He yeah. communicated with his soul. I remember I was first when I was first youth pastor, my my pastor, God bless his soul, he's in heaven now. I think, is Dr. J.D. Middlebrook. He was a sweet Southern gentleman. Mm. And he would call up my office. And I've told this story 10 million times, but it's the first time you've heard it. He called up to my office. He'd say, I, I need you to carry me somewhere. In the South, that means I need you to give me a ride. Yeah, yeah. So I go down. I got in his old Lincoln Town car. Wow. And I drove. And he would just gave me directions. We were in Memphis, Tennessee. And we got to downtown Memphis. And, I, and we pulled into a dead end. He said, put the car in park. We sat there and some guys laying asphalt. This hot southern Memphis muggy day. We just sat there for just, it felt like forever. It may have been a minute. And he looked over at me and he said, never forget this could be you. Be grateful that God has called you to the ministry. And so Sunday, when you talked about how he spoke to his soul, Mm -hmm. you began to list off things in your life Mm -hmm. that you had to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're melancholy, morose. It doesn't matter if you're enigmatic, if you're an extrovert, an introvert. We all have things to be thankful for. And so I just read a stat this week, how accurate it is, I don't know, it's from, it, but it's from Lifeway that 1,400 pastors a month leave their churches, wow. leave the ministry. And I think part of that is because they haven't learned to speak to their soul. Right. That's why they say don't resign on Monday. But, but for you, over the court, and we've just met today, but over the course of the last 72 hours, you have been speaking to my soul. Mm. So I think a lot of guys have gotten good at speaking to other people's soul, mm. but not very good at speaking to their own soul. Mm. And so you, you said a, a great line and, and uh, we'll start to, I'll let you give some of your final thoughts because I thought this was a slam dunk. You said sometimes people expect God to do something for them that he's asked them to do for themselves. Right, right. Yeah, so... When you say that, like I, I absolutely believe that building ourselves up is is our responsibility, mm. <laughs> and I I do not think that God has promised that when you get down, oh, I'm going to come in, shift the gears of your mind, mm. and turn your attention and force you to look at the good in your life. I think mm. those kind of things are up to us. So good. And he empowers us as we do it. He blesses us as we do it. He comes right alongside us as we do it. But Psalm 42 is what you're referring to. Mm. David said, oh soul, why are you downcast? Mm. And that probably I was in my early 20s or somewhere in there as I was fighting this fight and learning when I realized, oh my goodness, he's talking to his soul. Mm. Like he's, he's ordering his soul. And, and that just came out of me. That wasn't in my message notes mm. for the weekend that you're referring to, but that's part of, of my, the way I process now that Kevin needs to talk to his soul. Mm. Like I must talk to the soul and lead the soul because because if I don't, I'm that guy. Yeah. Like you're talking about your pastor saying, there, that's me without this. Thank yeah. you, God. So I, I have learned to, I mean, I talk to myself. Um, I, I get in front of the mirror sometimes. I talk to myself. I did it more in 2020 than I had done it in a long time. <laughs> and I, I give myself pep talks. And I tell myself 
who I know I am and who God says I am. And again, I think a lot of pastors, we drift away from that sort of elementary, sort of in our minds, that's elementary. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when you start leaving that behind, you become vulnerable. So good. To the, the discouragement, you, you become vulnerable to the wounds from your past. You become vulnerable to criticism. Mm. You become vulnerable to insecurity and worry. You have to talk to your soul mm. and you have to lead your soul out of all those things. You know, character, I just, let me just say this real quick. I've been thinking and talking about character more lately uh, in light of everything that we're talking about today and, and the slippage or the drifting of you know, of character in our, in our worlds. And I've been trying to understand more about how character works. And here's one of the things that I came up with. And again, it's not real profound, but it's a great starting point. And people talk about character and the need for character. And we, we must all remember that we began or the starting point for all of us is that we have a flawed character. Mm. Our character is flawed. Mm. Wow. So I look at Sonny, Sonny's character is flawed. I look at Sean, Sean's character is flawed. I mm. sit before you today with, as a pastor, pastoring all these years, I have a flawed character. Now, if I can, if I, if I can be self-aware enough to accept that and say, I go into funk, mm. I go into places in my mind, I go backwards sometimes in my thoughts. If I can start with the fact that the basic character of Kevin is flawed. Wow. So the day I start standing up and going, I have good character. Yes, I do. How about you? The day I do that, I'm in trouble. Wow. Because character drifts and character slips. And you're only as good in your character as you are in maintaining it through your own soul. You must keep your soul strong and healthy if you're going to maintain good character. Wow. He just, uh, you just, I should say, I'm looking at Sean because we're amening, looking <laughs> we at are. one another. Uh, you just gave one more key to how you don't fall. Yeah. When we believe our own press, you say it that way all the time. When you begin to believe your own press, but here's the problem when your press is, you know, the press is good and then a pandemic and your church isn't now growing as fast or the best in town, you then have to believe your own press because that's external. Mm -hmm. And also when you believe you're untouchable and you know, we, we didn't even bring up, we often don't bring up names of recent fallen pastors. They're already out there. Right, yeah. You can find them online. We didn't even have to get in today. The two major issues in this city that you sit in that you pastored mm -hmm. because you went back to Kevin. You didn't look at the external that mm -hmm. there's been a lot of drama in this city around churches that you could say, I just don't know that we're going to survive it because mm -hmm. it's hard when a church and a pastor have a problem for any church in America to, to weather that storm, let alone in your own back door, yep. in your own city. And we didn't even have to go there. We are familiar with it. We're from this city sure. early in our ministry. But I mean, you really just spoke to, it's internal. Mm -hmm. It's internal. Yeah, I think what's so refreshing in even just what you're talking about, because so many people obviously do deal with it is, is, you know, when you have a podcast like this, that's called the rise after the fall and all of your guests have been people who have had like a, like a huge moral failure of some sort or a, a character failure and then made a comeback from that. What's challenging is 
is for people to go, well, I've never had that kind of a fall and I'm never going to have that kind of a fall. But what I hear you saying is that every one of us, we have these falls. We have lots and lots and lots of falls because we're innately flawed. And right. yet for, th for, well, more than 36 years, just mm -hmm. 36 years here, but for your lifetime as a Jesus follower, you have been, and I love the fact that you're still a learner, that, that you've been figuring out how to rise after those falls every day. And I think that it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to admit your downfalls and your failures and, and your personality types and to admit that, oh my gosh, for people to say, I have flawed character, that's, mm -hmm. that's so out there. Mm -hmm. You never hear people say that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, do, I'm gonna do this series of men's Bible studies. I get this beautiful opportunity every fall, hopefully until February to work with like young men, young, mm -hmm. like very high uh, impact young men. And one of the things that I'm, I'm gonna do this year is I'm gonna do our weekly uh, chapel service on words. And one of the words that I'm gonna use is integrity. Mm. And those two are often go together, character and integrity. Right, right. But one of the things that I've learned in my study of the word integrity is the root word of it is integer, which is a math term, which means whole. Mm -hmm. It's a whole number. Mm. And so integrity is being a whole person, mm. right? So if you have integrity, you are a whole person. But to be a whole person, you have to recognize the, the faults and the flaws within you to say, how am I gonna be whole mentally? How am I gonna be whole financially? How am I gonna be whole in my relationships and all of those sorts of things? And so for all of our friends who are listening to this, some of them are recovering from a fall and some of them are on the precipice of a fall. I would just say, beyond reaching out to somebody else, speak to your soul mm -hmm. and tell your soul, yes, I do have flaws, but those flaws are not fatal. Failure is never final. And so if you are struggling with some sort of a temptation or you're in the midst of a slip or a slide or a fall and you don't have anybody to talk to, please reach out to us, uh, email us, text us, call us, and we would love the opportunity to help you, whether that be go through Journey to Wholeness like you talked about, Pastor Sonny, or, uh, or go through one of our intensives. But there, there is hope. There's hope on the other side of this. And so we love you guys and we're so grateful. Pastor Kevin, thank you so thank much you. for being with us. I mean, we could do this for another two hours. I could just sit and listen to him for another two hours, but we're respectful of your time. And so we love you. And it's interesting because I said this to one of the other guests that God has been bringing guests onto this podcast, people who God is positioning in our life mm. to be spiritual overseers. Mm to Sonny and I. Mm. And so you unknowingly have become that mm -hmm. to us, mm. a great influencer. So thank you for living a life of integrity and mm. a life of character and for being just a real dude, yeah. being mm. the real mm. deal. And so we thank you guys for taking the time to listen to this. If you've liked it, please hit subscribe, share it with your friends, like it, whatever it is, all those things, whatever platform that you're on. And until next time, remember there is a rise after the fall.
Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, and so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on, as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Whew. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, they gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And the, someone had, had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith. 
and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.